Benjamin Gilmore, I guess when considering how this film came about, there would be multiple motivations for you. Uh, you mentioned at the Q&A screening uh, some of your, I guess, considerations around Hollywood's depiction of war, as uh, you mm-hmm. described it as war porn. I also understand you have a personal connection to the region, having travelled through there, and clearly through the film you have uh, you know, a social conscience, uh, particularly around uh, Australia's role in the occupation and the invasion of Afghanistan. Can I start by asking you, was there one singular motivation for making this film, though, or was it, as I guess I'm uh, describing, a myriad of uh, motivations for you? Yeah, right, Ray. It's a, it is a myriad. It's a good way of describing it, a myriad of motivations. Um, and I'd become convinced uh, uh, that film it was a great medium to... Um, provoke empathy in people or at least, you know, exercise people's empathy for uh, for victims of a war or people affected by a war so far away from where we live. And, you know, that tyranny of distance um, was something that kind of led to an indifference that I was seeing around me, uh, not, not only to civilians affected by uh, the conflict, but also to our own soldiers, as you mentioned, that, that come back and, and kind of um, in a sense, lock themselves away a lot of the time, um, uh, unable in many cases to inter- reintegrate into society. And so e- even even uh, Australians, young Australians, um, we were kind of separated from who who were affected by the war, you know, uh, in isolation, um, and then living in isolation, suffering uh, alone. So those were some of the factors, of course, um, naturally the the large, the broader picture of a war in its 17th year. Uh, and I thought, you know, people people are very confused, as I was, uh, in a sense, being uh, living in Australia, confused about the war and why it wasn't, we weren't able to um, bring peace to the country or, or, or whether it was even in our power to do that, certainly whether it was in our power to do it the way that we were doing it. Um, and knowing the truth is so hard to come by, uh, in, in the world, I think, you know, there's so much information out there. I think the, the waters are mm. rather muddied. Um, that, in a sense, going on that journey to make Jerga was um, was also a way that I was able to um, hear Afghan voices there, their thoughts and feelings on, on this war, um, which we, which I never got here and um, considered that you know, other Australians would be in the same boat. Certainly. And as you said there, there is this issue of there being, I guess, so much information out there that for a lot of people might not even be a a question of not knowing what to do. It might just be simply the fact that, as horrible as it sounds, they may have completely forgotten about the fact that we are still involved in the the you know the ongoing uh, occupations of Afghanistan or Iraq or you know the mm. uh, the other wars in the the Middle East and mm. I, you know I think that's it's quite tragic really that we we don't even have a real sense of it was was that um I guess a huge part of what you're trying to portray in this I film think, obviously to humanize so. the, the the people that are involved but yeah. also just to remind people that you know this is ongoing and while it may not be directly affecting our day-to-day lives it is still affecting mm. the lives of the Afghan people. Oh, exactly. And, you know, it's very easy for us to forget and to just think, oh, yeah, there's a war that's going on um, so far away. We're not really, we don't really face it. We're, we're kind of insulated from it. And, you know, it's grossly unfair that we're, that, you know, our, our troops um, are, are still, are still over there and we still have um, quite a few Australians over there and certainly a lot of, there are a lot of Americans over there and, 
you know, and this is going on, and yet it just doesn't seem to be in the news much anymore. And I guess, I guess nations who invade and occupy uh, can kind of get away with that because there's a level of fatigue when when something doesn't become there's no longer newsworthy and disappears from the headlines. That to then, you know, when the population isn't getting any information, you can kind of get away with whatever you want to do. And I'm very sceptical, very suspicious, knowing um, the the amount of uh, mineral resources in that country, um, the strategic importance of that country. And that's not, I mean, the Afghans are aware of that. They've been aware of that for centuries, you know, because invaders have time and time again tried to uh, control them for those for those reasons. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's out of the news. So I really wanted to kind of bring back... Um, a message from Afghans that would break through um, that that level of kind of indifference and fatigue, something something different. Um, and you know, we don't often get to hear the voices of of ordinary Afghans and how they feel about it. Uh, so I guess this was a way of being able to do that. You know. Now we could spend uh, several hours talking about the actual experiences you had making the film. Indeed, you've written a book about those experiences, uh, cameras and Kalashnikovs, the making of Jirga. But can you tell us about what happened when you tried to shoot the film first in Pakistan, uh, where I understand you drew the attention of the Inter-Services Intelligence Agency? Mm, yes, well, uh, well, it was an interesting experience. So the reason why we going to shoot in Pakistan was because we had some finance attached to it. A Pakistani businessman was going to put up the money, but then he hadn't got the adequate uh, uh, permissions from the Secret Service. In fact, it was the ISPR, the uh, public relations wing of the um, Inter-Services Intelligence, and it's a very powerful organisation. They have, they well know the, the power of propaganda, and so there's this, they've got their own film department, and they have the they have state-of-the-art uh, film and television equipment there, um, unlike anything um, that exists in the country belonging to any other uh, production company. And they have a whole department uh, assigned to making uh, Pakistani um, blockbuster feature films, um, usually depicting the army and in kind of a heroic way fighting against the militants. And it's part of their broader um, broader campaign of... Uh, of just of, of, of projecting this image um, of fighting uh, so-called terrorists um, in order ultimately to attract more international funding, uh, American funding mainly, uh, and, and so they've they've you know they, they've been engaged in this propaganda war as well as uh, real blanket bombing campaigns in the tribal areas. And destroying entire villages, and then you know, uh, sending the photos to the Americans uh, to prove that they're they're being you know they're actively hunting down troublemakers, uh, miscreants, and um, you know Pakistani Taliban groups. And yet, it's been clearly shown that they've been covertly uh, funding and creating those groups for for decades. So, um, this was the organisation that we had to kind of uh, get permission from. Um, a very shady group, and then you know they considered the script to be uh, to be too politically sensitive, um, and um, and didn't issue a, a no objection certificate, so we couldn't shoot what we wanted to shoot. And on top of that, they began a campaign of harassment against us uh, to try and um, force us to leave the country. Now the film 
obviously centers around uh, Sam Smith's uh, character, Mike, or Mike Wheeler. But, and and he, he does a superb job throughout the film. But there are some amazing performances from Afghan actors, such as uh, mm. Sher Alam, Miskin Ustad. But also, uh, one of the, the scenes that really stuck with me uh, was the scene when uh, Mike is confronted by the widow of the man that he, that he killed. Um, an incredibly mm. powerful scene, you know, really sort of spine-tingling stuff. Now, uh, obviously, for those uh, actors and actresses that performed in the film and that took part in the film, there's, you know, the the, the motivation of uh, being pa- a part of the film and I guess a huge pa- uh, payoff for them in that regard. But it's also, I imagine, incredibly risky, particularly for any female actresses to uh, to appear in this film. What what kind of I guess conversations did you had with have with them, and what what were their feelings about being in the film and and, and their real um, I guess their drive to be a part of this? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, one of the one of the many great qualities of of, of the Afghan uh, uh, human is their um, their famous uh, courage and um, and fearlessness, and we certainly encountered that. But there was a discussion that we had with everyone involved um, early on before we began to shoot was the the potential for where this film could end up, and I'd experienced that with Son of a Lion, my first film that. Um, I signed an agreement with the Pakistani producer of that Hayat Khan um, back in 2005 that the film would not be released, which was 2004, the film would not be released in Pakistan. And the world rights were sold uh, except for Pakistan because of um, my collaborators' um, wish that um, it it wouldn't um, bring any harm to them. Of course, little did we know at that time, uh, little did we know that uh, four or five years later, it would surface on YouTube and within a year of being um, being posted on YouTube, uploaded by somebody in Pakistan, it attracted 1.5 million hits from that region um, and ultimately led to the attempted kidnapping of the star. So I had been through that journey of of um, that concern of um, you know those those issues, uh, and so you know I didn't want that kind of situation happening happening again. But um, in discussing these issues with the Afghan cast, uh, they dismissed uh, my concerns um, straight away uh, with you know with their not just bravado, but um, you know it's kind of insulting to them that I would suggest that they would shrink from uh, doing something bold and brave like this. I mean, you've got to remember they have been successfully fighting off foreign invaders since time immemorial. So they are accustomed to um, to, 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 to countering their the fear that comes up within themselves and um, anything that is truly important and meaningful to do in life um, involves some kind of risk. Um, and that was, you know, confirmed by their opinions of it. Uh, certainly, you know, it was risky for us, Sam and myself, but um, we had the luxury of being able to fly home, which which they don't. But none of the actors on this occasion or producers uh, requested that we somehow exclude their territory from the film being seen. And, I mean, I think the film in this case um, doesn't show any Afghans in a poor light. I mean, even the Taliban... Uh, you could argue, um, has been humanised in this film. 
to some degree. So I'd be surprised if there was any group or any party in Afghanistan who would be upset enough to cause trouble. No, I think that's definitely one of the most uh, powerful aspects of the film is it is is so deeply uh, humanist and, and, and does that so well. Now, this, I guess this film is, is many things, but uh, I guess at the heart of it, it, it really appears to be a film about redemption and a redemption film. And it really sort of hangs around the outcome of the Jirga, uh, you know, that... Um, uh, Mike finds himself in towards the end of the film without giving too many spoilers away. But I think it's a, it's a really interesting point because the outcome of that, whether he is forgiven or whether he is not, it, it largely impacts on, on the, the the overall, I guess, message of the film. And I, I found myself sort of, in one way, just being, you know, strongly opposed to the occupation and the invasion of Afghanistan, that if Mike mm. had been or, you know, was killed then it would be entirely just you know from the perspective Mm. of that village was Mm -hmm. this something that you thought a lot about when writing the film in terms of you know what what is the the most effective outcome because i guess Mm. you know either way uh there there is a potential for uh you know for problems well yes and uh one of the great experiences that i had making my first film son of a lion was spending months and months in the company of uh, a producer there who was the father of the star. Uh, And he was very political, very well-read Pashtun on the frontier. Um, And he taught me so much about the tribal codes of conduct, their traditional um, honour codes in Pashtun culture, known as Pakhtunwali. And one particular tenet of that uh, tribal uh, code was uh, Nanawati. Na- Na- Nanawati is um, very interesting, and it's it basically um, it basically uh, defines um, a situation where the a criminal or somebody who's who is uh, you know killed somebody or, um, or or a thief that's stolen land or whatever it happens to be, if a if, if a criminal presents themselves to uh, the people they have perpetrated the crime against, and in all sincerity apologises, then um, uh, forgiveness is their due, and and um, the, the family in this case is obliged to uh, not only forgive but to make welcome and to offer their hospitality and protection. Uh, and it's not only in Pashtun culture this scenario. Um, in my research, I've also discovered that it's part of. Um, a lot of indigenous cultures, this restorative justice, um, um, very very ancient. I mean, I think in the West we kind of think we we discovered or invented restorative justice in the 90s, but um, you know because it's kind of come into vogue. But uh, but it's actually been part of these indigenous cultures for centuries and and, and for much longer. Um, the the um, Scottish Highlanders. There's there's a great story uh, about the the McGregors and the the Monts about how uh, one of their sons accidentally killed uh, the son of the uh, other uh, tribal chief uh, and then fled uh, and unwittingly took shelter in the house of uh, the tribal chief whose son he killed. And when the mob reached the door, um, you know, baying for blood, um, that's when the tribal chief realised that the man that had... uh, the fugitive uh, was actually responsible for killing his own son. At that point, he actually offered the boy protection and smuggled him out at night uh, and into, uh, at, at a, and, uh, into a boat um, in a, at a river and, uh, and saw him off to safety. And so, so there is this tradition of, of um, 
of Nanawati in other cultures as well. So I, I was interested in, in, in that, in Pakpanwali. And so this is a very plausible scenario that even a man who has killed an Afghan who presents himself to that village, to the family, uh, and, and kneels in front of the son of the dead man, um, has the possibility uh, to be forgiven in that culture. Definitely. And then just finally, Ben, on the question of justice, restorative justice or otherwise, you know, this isn't, in some ways, it isn't an inherently uh, political film. It is, as you've you know, expressed, attempting to humanise all those involved in uh, such mm. atrocious things as uh, occupation or conflict or war. But mm. what would you hope your film says about how justice might be served for the people of Afghanistan, particularly with respect to the crimes of foreign occupation forces? Mm. Well, the encouraging thing is, uh, and the surprising thing for, for me is to to feel after spending time with Afghans um, that despite the tens of thousands of people killed, um, injured, the houses uh, destroyed, um, um, that even though they have lost uh, so many of their uh, men, women, children uh, in this conflict and that it's gone on for so long and they've, you know, tired and frustrated with the war that there is a possibility to for that country to come to peace and for friendships to be made again and restored and bridges to be built and that you know that country can Afghanistan can move forward to peace if and of course you know if we stop uh, the violence and aggression um, you know on their on their on their turf essentially and Beyond beyond that, um, what we what I really wanted to do, and Sam and I both, and the Afghans in our crew, was to um, reveal something about the possibility of that relationship uh, that uh, that can that can heal um, purely by seeing this Australian soldier on screen interacting with his uh, Afghan taxi driver uh, on the mountaintop and and becoming friends. Um, you know, and also by way of making this film and the way we did it, uh, unarmed um, with um, humility and listening to the locals, um, that I don't think that could have happened if we'd arrived in a country wearing military fatigues or carrying assault rifles, you know, asking to make a film. We we went there uh, and got cooperation. Um, uh, we, we didn't do it at gunpoint, uh, you know, and I think peace is created by this, by a humble, authentic approach um, and a secret to success in, in Afghanistan is humility. And the international community has not generally uh, gone in there with that approach. And that's why we're in our 17th year, sadly, and people are still dying there. So until we change the approach and support a peace process and uh, support the country in a different way uh, without um, guns and you know, soldiers, then I think it's just going to drag on.